My name is Mark Pearson. I'm an entertainment lawyer. I love counseling creative, talented, and entrepreneurial clients, and I am The Hustle. Hello, and welcome to episode 86 of The Hollywood Hustle Podcast, a weekly show inspiring artists and entrepreneurs all over the world with the stories and challenges of those hustling towards success. Hi, everyone. My name is Michael Lutheran, one of the co-hosts here at Team Hustle, and I am so happy to be back introducing you, our League of Hustle, to someone who has a ton of knowledge and experience working in the field of entertainment law. It's a new type of hustle for us to showcase here on the podcast, and we are so excited, guys. It's going to be a great episode. But first off, I want to apologize for the recent break we took in our release schedule. As many of you may have heard in our last side hustle, my fiancé and I had the unfortunate experience of finding out that the wedding venue that we've been coordinating with, that I had already paid for, was all of a sudden unexpectedly closed. In the days following this news, Anna, Karen, and I became so overwhelmed by the shock of this news as we tried to figure out what we would do. Well, I'm happy to say that with the support of my parents who drove down from Northern California to join us on a day of checking out new venues, uh, followed by a family retreat down in Big Bear, we've locked down not only just a replacement venue, but truly a dream venue. We'll be getting married this October 24th at Castle Green in downtown Pasadena. And this was actually the first place that we checked out after we were engaged. The support that Castle Green has shown us, in addition to the support that we've received from other couples that have become hashtag Oviat orphans in this whole venue closure crisis, has truly helped Anna, Karen, and I feel like we are back on the right path and that we are finally moving forward again. I'm so sorry that we had to take that break from our release schedule, but it was so necessary for Anna, Karen, and I to find out what we were doing. (laughs) Now, before we get to our interview today, I want to remind you guys to reach out to us. We love hearing from the League of Hustle and what strides you've been making in your journey. Book an audition or make it to a callback? Organize a table read for your next feature film? See a live show that inspired you to start taking classes? We'd love to know. Tag us on social media. On Twitter, we are at LA Hustlecast. And on Instagram, we're at Hollywood Hustle Podcast, and we want to cheer you on. Better yet, send us a voice message through the Anchor FM podcast app. It allows you to record a message, and then you can send that to us so that we can drop it into our very next episode. You can ask us a question or share some of your recent small victories, or let us know what episodes here on Hollywood Hustle are inspiring you and helping you on your way. Now, if you're getting value from this show, we'd appreciate it if you took a quick second to leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. It helps us reach more listeners such as yourself. And if you're tuning in on the Anchor FM app, you can actually be a supporter of the show by making a financial contribution of any amount, and it all goes back into the production of this show. And if you send us a donation within the next couple weeks, I'll send you a video of me as Vincent Crab for my Hollywood friend show, Crab and Goyle are Dead, with a very special message. Alrighty then, let's get to today's interview. Get out your legal notepads and get ready to take lots of notes because today you'll be meeting Mark A. Pearson from Arc Law Group. And last week's Side Hustle, you got to hear his origin story of how he went from being a sports journalist to an entertainment lawyer. In today's episode, 
we'll be going through examples of how Mark assists actors when it comes to clarifying the type of work they get to do on set when producers tell that actor that they're not acting. We break down the drama that's going on between the Writers Guild of America and talent agencies here in Los Angeles. And then Team Hustle gets Mark's reactions to a real scenario that we had to deal with when we found out about another Hollywood Hustle podcast. Now, let's dive in and I'll see you guys on the other side. I would say lawyer, entertainment lawyers are more integral now than probably in previous years just because everything has slowly just the details of contracts and and negotiations are just becoming more and more strict and and smaller and minute with like every little part because you go well what about this oh we didn't see this happening so well what about this now i mean when you know dvds and and blu-rays and all that stuff started then people you know that's when like the wga went on strike yeah for the the first big strike because yeah. they're like wait we should be getting some of that money and they weren't and so every time that the the industry evolves that's a whole nother paragraph. It is, you know, that goes or change of language. One of the ones that that comes up a lot is I, is uh, people say, well, how come that's not out on DVD? How come I can't get that movie? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what it comes down to is music licensing. Yeah. Because they didn't secure a license for distribution Mm -hmm. through media that is not theatrical. Well, that that was an issue when a lot of DVD, TV box sets started coming right. out was they would have to change the music right. and they would even say like this doesn't have the original music yeah. in it and some of them the music was like integral to the show and right. they're like we couldn't use this song and it was like the main theme song for the Gosh, show right well, I think a really good one was like a 90210 mm-hmm. uh, I think when 90210 first broadcast uh, it was kind of at the beginning of the whole grunge thing and I think they had Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains mm-hmm. and there's no way they were going to relicense their rights for the DVD box set right. so they and then yeah. they had to go and get like sound alike kind of grungy music yeah. to plug in there and, and so yeah and then over years you see re-releases we're like now now we got or, it. Or, or, the original music <laughs> yeah fast times at ridgemont high i think is mm-hmm. one like that when they finally did like the 30th anniversary they finally got the last music license which i think was a tom petty song mm-hmm. not 100 but there was one song that was kind of a holdout from the original they finally got it for the for the uh the latest uh, anniversary release so yeah yeah, yeah. wow yeah. Right. And stuff that you would never even think never that even goes think. into it. Well, yeah. Well, and I, I was just also going to say, and I know this is jumping ahead to one of my questions later, but mm-hmm. like now entertainment media, it's transforming so much, it seems day by day. And we're no longer in the old, you know, just basic TV cable shows. Right. There's so many media streaming platforms, whether it's Instagram having their own content or YouTube, things like that. So for as an entertainment lawyer, like you're part of you're paving the path for all of these companies moving forward. You're having to figure things out. Have you ran into any issues when it comes to more like digital marketing with, with all of these other different kind of platforms? Well, there's definitely a struggle between uh, the old guard and what is, you know, in the tech world is called a, a disruptor. So like Netflix, which is becoming huge, Netflix doesn't want to play by the old school rules of Mm -hmm. working with uh, unions and working with the talent agencies and all of that. And so uh, they are definitely a disruptor in the marketplace, but they're also huge now, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They're buying up content left and right. They're doing it in a different way. They're winning Oscars. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so it's really interesting. So there's not as, it's not so much for me, the conflict 
it's uh, just staying ahead of what's going on yeah. so that we figure out how to correctly address rights and correctly address uh, money. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so usually, like looking at a contract for me, it's always about three C's, right? It's about credit, compensation, and creative control. And so those are the issues that that you know trying to stay ahead of to anticipate or to try to catch up with because oftentimes the law is catching up with technology and what's actually happening mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that everything you know meets and, and and works so it's less conflict although you watch the conflict is usually within the industry between the creative or the development people mm-hmm. that's where the conflict comes and then the law kind of uh, you know follows follows that to f- clean up <laughs> the disputes. Well, you've yeah. seen more recently with uh, uh, you know Steven Spielberg being very vocal about Netflix not being allowed to have be involved in the Academy Awards because yeah. they don't go in theaters, and so there's now a huge debate with that. And I know Steven Spielberg's met with the head of Netflix, and mm-hmm. I think they're working on figuring that out. But you know that that's it's you know anytime this change happens, there's it's you have to. F- be willing to be malleable mm-hmm. and come and go. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. I think a lot of times these things come in and people don't sit down and go, okay, how does this fit? And how do we make this work? And what has been tradition, what has been standard. Now we have to figure out how this fits into that standard. What's the compromise? What's the, what's the way we evolve to, so everyone's happy mm-hmm. and that we all feel like we're, we we have uh, uh we're we're all on the same level sure like twitter with whole like freedom of speech and things like that where yeah. it's like how does this fit with That's our fit. society right. and how do we make sure that it fits underneath how we we are our traditional way of living that protects everyone yeah. absolutely like yeah. even i mean not to get too political but yeah. even just like facebook and the, mm-hmm. you know disinformation and how that affects government and yeah. elections and stuff yeah. like that it's it's crazy. And we have a lawyer here to sparse right. it all out for us. And like the nexus between <laughs> all this answer, thing is really it, crazy. Mark, right now. Give right? us an answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so I sit on the Board of Governors for the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences chapter in, in Northern California. Oh, nice. And so one of the things that the the separate chapters have had to do over the years is address the issue of internet-based content. And how do you include that? Because on the one hand, you want to include it. You want all the people that are creating content to become members of Natus and to pay their dues and to be part of the process. On the second hand, you have the old guard who's saying, well, it has to have broadcast on television in order to qualify. Mm-hmm. And so there was kind of a shift there. And so mm-hmm. now there's lots of categories and uh, that you can qualify for um, that are you, when your content has only come out on on the internet, yeah. So that you know, but it took a it took a while to get there, and there's a lot of people who resist that type right. of thing. Yeah. So who do, what do you uh, who or what do you usually represent? Are you, are you, do you is your focus more in like companies or individuals? It depends. So so I've worked with a number of different companies that are like at technology and entertainment crossover, mm-hmm. uh, and then a lot of individuals, actors and musicians mostly. Okay. Uh, and then some small like record labels mm-hmm. uh, and distribution companies. Uh, for music, um, and then some uh, production companies for film too, like documentary filmmakers and things like oh, that. Fantastic. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. Uh, you know, let's say like music uh, production company and, and actors. Out of those three, kind of what are the biggest uh, problems that usually <laughs> come up within those three different areas? Yeah, yeah. The biggest issue that I face, kind of on a daily basis, is with music and um, uh, the fundamental understanding of music copyrights. Mm. You know, that's a huge huge issue that that is somewhat confusing and that 
oftentimes if you're working with independent artists or an independent artist and producer uh, can lead to a lot of conflict because there's a misunderstanding of how copyright rights work. And so uh, it can be tricky for me because I'm not representing the other side. And often it's the other side that's, that is putting up a fight needlessly. And so the balance of being able to give them enough information or try to get them to go get their own attorney so that we can deal with it on a business level can be tricky without like them feeling like I've given them advice and then running into a potential problem later of them mm -hmm. saying, oh, well, I I listened to the other side's lawyer and, and relied on that. And so now I don't like what happened. And so, you know, I'm going to raise a raise a flag or or say that, that I was, you know, misled. Um, so I have to be really careful with that type of thing to make sure that I don't cross the line and actually and put them in a position where they think that I'm giving them advice. Mm -hmm. oh, uh, yeah. At the same time, I need them to understand what we're really working at here so that the conflict they think is there isn't. What, what's usually, I guess, within that copyright, like what's usually yeah. the conflict? Like they use it on a show or is it that kind of thing or is it they cover it and put it out? without getting permission is it that no it's even stepping back it's oh. the it's the concept that in music there are two separate and distinct copyrights for every piece of recorded music there's mm. a copyright in the sound recording the actual physical version of the song that we're listening to mm. and then a copyright in the underlying uh, musical composition mm. so the words and the melody so their songwriters have a copyright and then whoever like a record label or right. independent like artist music the band like yeah has a copyright in the sound recording so there's two separate copyrights each with their own royalty streams. Mm -hmm. And so people just get really confused over that or they think that certain things are more important or they think that they're entitled to something they're not entitled to, not realizing that what you're entitled to might be more lucrative, but you're focused on this, which isn't something that you did. Right. And often it comes in the, in the context of uh, uh, somebody who's helping create the sound recording, but they think they're, they should get uh, performance royalties that are entitled to the composer of the song. Mm. Uh, and so they don't understand that, no, you played on the, on the song and you worked in the studio, you're entitled to royalties from the sound recording, but only the people that wrote the lyrics and the melody are entitled to composition right. royalties. And so it's those type of things that get really confusing mm. and, and, you know, and rightly so if you're a creative person, you don't, want to think about that you want to think about making music and like this these tangential things like copyright law like that's just weird right mm -hmm. uh it's so esoteric and like it's just made up sure. right. right music's a real thing creating art's a real thing copyright law is made up yeah <laughs> and so um so it's hard to do be able to do both Man. yeah it, it, we it's these barriers we've built to protect yes. people yeah but sometimes those those barriers get in the way of other things. As That's well. right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Cause we, it's made up. It doesn't, it's not grounded in, it's grounded in reality, but it's not grounded in anything that's tangible. It, it's so weird when you think about it and you're like, you know, all law is just made up. It's just, made <laughs> like, up. It's just rules that we've come up as a society to protect ourselves yeah, from right. murder and theft. <laughs> right. And to guide us on a, yeah. a good path. Yeah. <laughs> and oftentimes to help us make money. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that comes down to it too. Right. Right. So yeah. with, so with actors, yeah, like, I was just know, about to Michael's ask the actor of our group. What, yeah. is, what are some of the issues that you run into that you usually fight for or have yeah. to go to, to, to bat for? I've had some really interesting issues uh, with uh, actors and how they're being paid. Oh, really? Yeah, I had a really fun one recently uh, that um, involved. Uh, I love and, you said a yeah, fun one. It was fun. <laughs> th it's fun to me. I, right, but no, I had a fun one great. where. I, it's great to love what you do. It's just yeah. so funny like to think like I had this dispute that was so much fun. It was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but it was fun because it was just a unique set of facts and a unique circumstance where a role that was very 
weird. And was it really an acting job or was it not? And and so there like was playing this, the like, tree dispute. in the background of a yeah, play it was it was some yeah, and, yeah. and I, I don't want to get into too much right, specific, absolutely. but but it was it was just a really weird role that, that they were hired for, and they were told initially that the role was not acting and that the production company had contacted SAG AFTRA and um and checked with them and they were confirmed that it was an acting. But after a while, she'd been on set for a few weeks, and we usually meet like once a month. Mm-hmm. And after a while, it started to feel like, wait a minute, this is, and everybody act, act telling her, oh, SAG's going to really love that you're doing that and like making jokes. And she's going, but they told me I'm not SAG. And then, and then she started looking at like the pay discrepancy between what she was getting for like doing a lot of real tough work on set every day mm-hmm. as, as compared to someone who would show up for one day and get the day player rate to stand in the back. And so we sat down for our monthly meeting and she's telling me this and I'm going, I think that's acting. And I go, and she goes, well, they, uh, they sent me an email explaining that it's not and telling me that they called the union. And I said, well, let me call the union. Yeah. Yeah, so I called if, the union. See if they actually know what's going on. Yeah. And the union reps like acting. <laughs> well, what about the acting? Like every, every, every curveball I try to th- to throw them based on the facts of this particular case, acting, acting. So I finally had to, you know, I told her, and of course she's taking a, an emotional response. Going, well, I don't want to rock, you know, rock the boat and I don't want to cause problems and I want everything to be smooth and, and I don't want to be looked at poorly. And I said, don't worry. That's what, that's what I'm here for. Uh, I take the, the blame on this because I'm the one who said there was a problem in the first place. Like you were just there, you know, doing your job, doing doing what they said. And yeah. then you met with me and I said, wait, that doesn't sound right. And so I'm the one who caused the issue here. And once I called the union and they said that that was their position, like we can't not acknowledge that. Right. And mm-hmm. I said, so let me just write a letter and and basically take the blame for having, you know, raised this issue and 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 I'll send it to the to general counsel for the production company. And I did. And he looked at it and he, and he called me and he's like, Oh yeah. He's like, it looks like you're right. He's like, we'll, we'll fix it. And and they, you know, they corrected the issue and, and, you know, uh, made her, you know, put the SAG paperwork in, in place and, and did, did what needed to be done. But it was a really interesting scenario where it's one of those cases, like my job is to look at everything from a pragmatic business standpoint, mm-hmm. but understand that my client is not, they're looking at it from a very emotional standpoint and this is their thing. This, this is, is their, their life. Yeah. This is their livelihood. And, and I, but I can step back and because I've worked with creatives and, and done that, I can understand that, but I can also say, but I know how to handle this on a business level and I know who to contact uh, on the business level, so we can just take care of this as a business transaction. Nobody's at fault. We're not blaming. It's just one of those things. Sometimes things slip through the crack or mistakes are made. I, yeah. We fix it. I can't imagine it. And Michael, please correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. Um, it's been a while since I've really been in the world of acting. But I can't imagine many things that would be on camera and if you're a human being would not be acting. acting. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. even if you're playing a rock, you're acting like a rock. Right. Yeah. Not the rock. Right. A rock. Yeah. <laughs> so like, it's so weird to me. Like, I, it's so interesting. I would lo- like just the idea of like somebody going, what you're doing is not acting. Wait, what? Well, how is that not acting? I'm, yeah. I'm on set. I'm on, I'm on camera pretending or to, living yeah. the life of something or someone else. Even if you're like the green screen actor. Right. Well, e- even you know? if you are just yourself, you're still on camera. Which yeah. Is, yeah. That's right. You're still acting. So that's, yeah, and, that's and, so interesting that someone would just so brazenly be like, we called Zag after and yeah. they're like, that's not acting. But, but I also right. love that specific example, though, because 
you would automatically think like, oh, is it like something because someone got hurt on set or whatever? Like, no, this is something that's very minutia. Right. 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 This is something that the actor had no idea. Right. That what was happening was wrong. Right. And in some cases, like an actor or creative is going to go to the dark place and think they're trying to, you know, mess with my livelihood, screw me over, do me wrong. But oftentimes it's just a matter of paperwork and misinformation or, you know, somebody just makes a mistake in interpretation and it's not a personal affront against the, the client. It's just an error, a human error and, and things are flawed. And like one is that's what we're here for to, you know, as, as lawyers uh, or managers, agents is to kind of protect that, that interest and to look at things and go, maybe that's not quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the talent can focus on what they're doing and, and not feel like they have to like be looking over their shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, but second, also to, to look at it and say, look, I'm not going to pass judgment and say that the other side is trying to you know pull a fast one. I'm just going to say, hey, look, it looks like a, there's a clerical error here. Uh, can we correct it? And oftentimes that'll get it done because there was no intent to deceive yeah, or do anything. No you, don't, you, didn't, yeah. you didn't go guns blazing. Right. Like I'm burning this company to the ground. Right. You just went like, Hey, I think there was a problem. And see, I think that's just in, in that, that's a message to society. Yeah. That's how yeah. all confrontations. And I was like, I don't think you did something maliciously. Right. I'm just saying this seems wrong. Let's discuss it and figure out how we fix it. Daniel's the screenwriter. Right. Of, of our pair. That's, so that's inter- I, I feel like with screenwriters, there's, at times a lot of stuff about intellectual property. Sure. Right. You know, yeah. like you, you create a show like that gets sold mm-hmm. on a television network or something like mm-hmm. that, but maybe do they want to keep on the original screenwriter? Like what happens right. in, you know, with that type of, issue? well, even, even yeah. real quick, just to kind of, before you answer that, yeah. to go to like, even specifically, you create a character yeah. for yes. a show because that, which I didn't even know for a long time that if you're on a show and you create a character, every time that character's in an episode, even if you're not on that working for that show anymore, you get paid yeah. because you created that character. And that is all based on contract because the law doesn't recognize uh, copyright in characters. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it, you can event characters can become uh, subject to copyright protection through the way that they're depicted. Like Indiana Jones is going to have copyright protection in the costuming and all that. Yeah. But the character itself, not necessarily subject to copyright protection, but but the union, the the WGA, is going to set some rules that are different than what the actual copyright might be to protect its writers, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the fact that, honestly, uh, I've been on the bo- both sides of, of union issues working with production companies and having to deal with escrow stuff for, for actors in SAG. And, like, I had a situation once where... Uh, the production was going to take on the escrow obligation on its own through its bank instead of using the SAG escrow. Yeah. And for some reason, they didn't process the paperwork uh, on time. And I got a call on a Friday night from the SAG rep saying, our actors will not be on set Monday morning for the start of production because the escrow wasn't funded. And we had to literally call the bank manager and have him come down at like 9 p.m. on a Friday night and process the paperwork to get that in place. Right. So I've been on that side of it where, and, and, but I also recognize even at the time, as much of a pain as it was the value of having that as an actor. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, with this recent one that we just talked about being on the other side where, where I knew that if for some reason uh, the other side was not going to, uh, you know, agree with the position that, that we had and with the information that we'd received that my next call was just going to be to call the, the union and say, Hey, 
here's the deal. And then they would step in and, and that would remedy, that would probably lead to a remedy, uh, you know, in and right of away. itself, right? Yeah. Right away. Uh, so, um, so unions are really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, for for everyone in the industry that's creating because they really do uh, help and I know that there's lots of issues and problems but but fundamentally it's they're really important right. and they're going to cover things like that make sure that you get residuals make sure that that you know that characters and things like that are going to lead to uh, to future compensation um, super important stuff yeah I find it interesting with entertainment one and, and if I'm wrong you please again sure. correct me um, you're wrong <laughs> I feel like you you entertainment law is so interesting because especially depending on where you focus if you're focused more on acting or uh, production companies and things like that I feel like you're almost I forget what's what's the call with like the several circles where there's a Venn diagram yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah you're kind of like a Venn diagram of several different focuses where right. you have to know IP yeah. you have to know the unions you have to know business law. Yeah. You have to know certain other areas, re- actual law, yeah. you know, uh, just regular main law. Um, how do you, for yourself, when you were learning this and as you go through, what is your way of keeping that all kind of organized in your head and keeping track of what changes and what, 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 what you know, when, when a law just changes just a bit or they pass a new law up in, you know, the Cal- up in Sacramento, like how do you keep track of everything and how do you, uh, organize yourself to find maybe the information you need. Yeah, you know what's interesting is like it's one of those things that over the years it just becomes kind of part of what happens. Mm-hmm. I think initially in the practice um, it was about like searching out the information, but as time goes on, it just kind of happens. Uh, I don't even really know how to explain it. I guess it's like anything else where uh, you know you're used to reading this, that, and the other. You're used to talking with certain people, uh, an exchange of information or Um, and it just becomes kind of innate as part of the job. Yeah. So, and especially because it's a niche, niche area, right? I'm not, I don't have to know everything about everything, right? Yeah. I know, I know about entertainment law issues, copyrights, trademarks, um, some employment stuff, and then, um, general business transactions. Cause a a, a part of the practice is going to be like, uh, with a production company Mm -hmm. setting up the LLC, and structuring that and and financing that mm-hmm. so so there's some of that but um that's quite different than doing like uh an ipo or something like that right which i wouldn't do now i'll set up your your film finance or your theater production financing with investors but if you came to me and you said well i want to take my company public then i would refer you to a client um and then i like to do a lot of uh lectures one of the things so as lawyers we're supposed to give back to the community that we serve in and uh uh, because we're a small shop, it's tough for us to do like pro bono. But what I like to do is I'll do like free or really low cost, uh, five bucks or something like that, um, uh, workshops for musicians and, or for talent of any kind um, and uh, go through you know copyrights or go through uh, recording contracts or acting talent agreements and things like that uh, so that people that can get like just a basic understanding of some of these things um, and not have to pay for a lawyer to walk them through it. Uh, I think that's really cool. That's, yeah. I think that's something that would be super helpful for people. Yeah. So something, you know, Michael and I are really interested in, and I know it's something that's happening more in LA and you kind of just touched on it a minute ago sure. is that everyone's starting their own production company. Yeah. yeah. Everyone in some, you know, moms and eggs production company or whatever mm-hmm. they want to call it. That's sentimental to them. Everyone's putting together their own production company to start their own stuff. Yep. Um, if you could like just, Give us like from the gr- a ground floor idea of if somebody's thinking of starting their own production company, right. 
what are some things they should be careful of? What are some things they should focus on? Yeah. Like this should be the, one of the most important things you you make sure is there. Uh, you know, just kind of some uh, just a ground floor idea. Of if you want to do this, these are the steps to first take when you start. Yeah, I mean, even yeah, like the cost. Yeah. of certain things. Yeah, as well, just from a legal what, standpoint. What, from, make sure yeah. you have this locked down. So I think one of the key things you're going to want to do is make sure that whatever whatever rights that you want to secure, that you have written agreements to secure all those rights. Okay, mm-hmm. and written agreements in general with everyone you work with. We are creating copyrights. Okay, mm-hmm. the only way that copyrights can be uh, correctly addresses in a written agreement. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if it is the intent of the production company to own what they're creating, which I would think would be the case, they need to make sure that they have a written agreement that says that with everyone that they work with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Otherwise what the law wants to say is that anyone who participated in the creation of a work mm-hmm. is the copyright owner. So absent a written agreement saying otherwise, Everyone who worked on a movie and, and put in creativity or everyone who worked on a, an album and came in and played music in the studio is going to be an owner of that particular work. Mm-hmm. This is why all the agreements that that that, you know, you might sign um, uh, and that even you are going to sign are going to have a provision in there that's called work for hire. Mm-hmm. And it says that you agree that your contribution is owned by someone else. Okay, mm-hmm. and this is built. This is an actual provision within the copyright law, um, and super important because absent that, you can run into issues later with someone else being able to claim ownership of the work. Mm-hmm. So, as a production company, the first thing you need to be thinking about is making sure that uh, you have uh, secured the rights to whatever you are going to do, and that you have solid written agreements that you can use with everybody that's going to participate in helping you create the work. Okay, Um, so so that's number one, just in the back of your mind. Now, you may get to having those drafted a little bit later, but in the back of your mind, you should be thinking everyone that we're going to work with needs to sign a written agreement. But from there, what you want to do as a production company, you want to set yourself as a business entity, Mm -hmm. okay, as a corporation or an LLC. Uh, What I say is that legally I can set you up as a corporation or LLC and get you the same legal stability that you want. Uh, but there may be some tax advantages. So usually when people come to me and they're, I want to set up a, a production company, I say, have you talked to an accountant yet? Uh, go talk to your accountant and find out under the current tax laws which you know entity is going to be able to get you the best tax advantage. Yeah. Uh, and then come back and let me know, and then we'll go that direction. So if your accountant says, oh, we can save you money here or do this as a, an S corporation, mm-hmm. uh, then we'll do that. If they come back and they say, no, LLC is fantastic, then we can do that. Um, and so uh, from there, yeah, then you set up that, that, that entity structure. And what that does for you, one, is it gives you this tax advantage potentially. Uh, and secondly, it, it shields your, your personal assets from liability. Right. And that's the huge one. It's, not, it's exactly. the company. It, it, yeah. You have uh, the company takes the hit. Yeah. Right, not the company personally. takes the hit. Exactly. And Absolutely. this is especially important if you're working with other people. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a sole, if you're a sole proprietor uh, and you want to go down the road of forming a single member LLC or a single shareholder corporation, like that's actors, fine. actors, will yeah, like do an this. actor will do that as so their loan out company, right? And they'll yeah. do it. That, they'll do that specifically for tax purposes, uh, so they can get write offs and stuff on the people that they hire to work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but there's also the asset liability protection there. But where it becomes really critical is when you're working with someone else, mm-hmm. because if two people are working together and they don't say anything, they are automatically under California law 
considered to be partners. 50-50, right? Mm -hmm. Right? They're they're general partnership. Regardless of whether you have a written agreement or not, you start working together with somebody. Uh, Without the written agreement, there can be some real bad things that could happen if the partnership doesn't work. But the real key to a partnership is that um, the actions of one partner bind the other. So if two people are working together and one person goes out and buys a $5,000 piece of equipment in the name of the partnership, the other partner is liable for $5,000. Whereas if you form the business entity, now it's the business entity that's responsible. So if somebody goes and charges a $5,000 piece of equipment uh, and, and, you know, and now the other person that's involved in the LLC, let's say, the other member is not responsible for paying that, the LLC is. Mm-hmm. And that is is a huge a huge relief, and so especially because oftentimes people will come in a production company scenario, and one person's going to be the guy who has all of the you know the knowledge and and the skills to create whatever it is that they're going to be making, and and then the other person is the money, mm-hmm. and so the money person has a lot of risk if that's a partnership, right? right. Mm-hmm. But if it's an LLC, the risk is now on the LLC. That was one area when I first got into practice uh, that I had to uh, to do a lot of learning on because the contract stuff and the intellectual property was something I was really interested in in school and kind of even before that. Uh, but once I got into practice, it was like uh, learning a lot about the corporate structure and, and putting together businesses um, was was something that, that is now something I do all the time and kind of second nature. But at the time, it was like uh, that was something I had to learn. Something that's going on right now, and I'm, I'm kind of throwing a lot of stuff because I'm just mm-hmm. curious while we have you to kind of yeah. get your thoughts and stuff. Right on. So something that's going <laughs> How on. How often do we get a chance to talk to a lawyer? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so there's a big issue going on right now in Hollywood with, with, with the WGA and agencies yeah. right. uh, regarding packaging. That's the biggest problem. That's yeah. the biggest focus in it. Um, pretty much there's an agreement that hasn't been renegotiated in almost 30 years. Yeah, going uh, on right now. Yeah, the, it's, yeah, it's now being renegotiated. Basically, the, the WGA sent all the agencies a letter uh, within the time span they're supposed to saying we want to renegotiate this deal that hasn't been no- renegotiated in 30 years. And they had 20 points that they put on there that wanted they wanted to talk about. And the biggest one that's been the biggest uh, back the and forth. Yeah, yeah, the most contentious is packaging. Yeah. Um, for those that don't know, packaging is pretty much uh, an agent or an agency double dipping into someone's creative career. Basically, they take a piece of someone's creative show or creative property. Plus, if you're an actor, they take that 10% from you as well. That's right. So they double dip into what, even if they had nothing to do with creating this idea or the show, they get money for it because they Mm -hmm. basically form a production company out of it or a a legal. legal, Yeah, sometimes, right? Yeah. Sometimes sometimes with packaging, it's like a They'll go to a production company and they'll say, "Okay, we'll get you all of this talent, mm-hmm. including the acting, the writing, everything, and and we will, we represent all of them, and uh, and but we want a fee for that, mm-hmm. and they'll get and it's, it can be up to like a hundred thousand yeah, dollars or more, get. yeah, and then they also are going to take a commission from all their clients, okay? Mm-hmm. Now recently they there's been a few instances where on the packaging side they've been able to go to the clients and say, "We're not going to take the commission from you." But the problem is, even in that scenario where they say, we're not going to take, we're just going to get the payment mm-hmm. from the production company that wa- that wants to have our package deal. The problem is, is that then who is the agency advocating for? Are they advocating mm-hmm. for themselves or are they advocating for them their clients? Yep. And that's the big problem. Yeah. And that's the big problem that the, the union has has brought to light they're, on they're the gonna, packaging thing. They're going to yeah. fight for more for their money right. and not your and money. Not your money. 
Yeah, and and that is an issue, right? Uh, and and then also on this front is we've seen a lot of agencies get into content creation. What William Morris bought the UFC, mm-hmm. um, right? And so agencies are buying pro- or creating production companies. So mm-hmm. now they're double dipping on that end too because they're creating the content. Mm-hmm. They have a vested interest in making sure that their production and they're supposed to be representing the talent that's working for their own. Like how do you how yeah. do you negotiate that? Yeah. I've had a few instances, especially in music, where like a manager comes and they want to manage a client and they say, oh, and I also have a record label. Well, isn't that your job to part of the manager's job to find the best record deal for your client? Mm-hmm. How can that be the best deal if it's your deal? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's like, benefiting you, not yeah. the client. Yeah. yeah. And like I'm a big proponent. Okay, I know that there's some lawyers who will make lots of, I'll connect you with this guy and I know this guy and I'll make this happen. Uh, I tell people, I'm not going to make anything happen for you. That's on you. That's on your manager. That's on your agent. My job is to make sure you, you the deals that are presented are correct mm-hmm. for you. I need to have, an, but I need to have an arm's length distance from other parties. If I'm connecting you with someone else to do your record deal, mm-hmm. that means I have a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So how maybe I'm going to have a conflict of interest. So mm-hmm. I do not make any promises that I'm going to con- now things happen organically, you know, mm-hmm. people and you're like, Oh, you know, I think I have a client that'd be really good for you or whatever. Uh, but I don't make that promise specifically because it's really important for everybody that is on your team as a creative, whether it's as a writer, as an actor, a musician, that everyone on your team fills their role, but mm-hmm. not anyone else's role. Mm-hmm. Super important, especially for your lawyer. You do not want your lawyer working for anyone or advocating for anyone but you. And this is what we're talking about here, where your agent is advocating for themselves. And the money that they're getting is way more for themselves on the company they set up to do production or buying UFC um, or on the kickback, essentially, is what it is mm-hmm. if they're doing a packaging thing. Because you could easily, in a sense, I'm, I'm going to use the, the, this term, and I, it's a, it's the harsher term, but yeah. this idea of like we'll g- the bribing of we'll give you a hundred thousand right. dollars if we can only pay your your client right. this much, and then you also have the idea. And the biggest problem is the the WGA and the head of WGA is looking at it as 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 things are happening and people are making more money, writers' pay is not has going gone up. down. Yeah. It's going down. Yeah. And because of packaging and all this other stuff. So, like, if we were making more money and they were making more, there would be no problem. Sure. If we were making more money as this was happening, there would be no more pro- no problem. Right. But that's not happening. Right. And so we are being undervalued more and more for our creation and people are making money off that creation. That's right. And so this, I mean, this is a really, it almost, it started almost as this, like, a social media uproar. Right. I saw, I saw it with a lot of writers I follow mm-hmm. where they started kind of just mentioning it. And then it kind of became, a, they, I think that started propelling this idea of renegotiating this contract because it's a contract that's just between the WGA and agencies. It has so the big do, agencies. Yeah, right? It has nothing to do with produce. It's, you know, the producers have their own right. contract and stuff like that. So it's, it's so interesting to hear like this hadn't been negotiated in 30 years. Yeah. Wow. And it's like, good. And so, now there's rumors of certain big agencies starting going uh, public next year, and really? so that's going to cause like so mm-hmm. now they're going to have shareholders. Shareholders they're going to be beholden to. So yeah. you and they're like, oh, that's not going to be a problem. And so there's all these other things that are coming out, and it's it's I mean the 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 articles coming out from uh, agencies and variety. I mean it's it's 
It's a ba- it's a war. I think yeah. essentially it, you have to kind of look at it as an antitrust issue. So so thinking back into the to the 1980s when basically there was one phone company that owned everything, and the government came in and said, "Nope, Ma Bell, we got to split you up," mm-hmm. and they created different entities that handled local and long distance and made everything completely separate. So one person at the top could collect the money, I guess, essentially, but all the different factions had to be handled completely separately, separate CEO, separate corporate structure, separate employees, and 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 subject to the fiduciary duties that go with that. So I think that that may end up happening here where, uh, you know, a huge agency like a William Morris, not that they're bad guys, but like sometimes things just take on a life of their own. Yeah. Um, but uh they, their production entity will have to be completely separate mm-hmm. and not just separate in terms of, oh, we're separate. We're in the building next door. But like like a, a real line drawn and a fiduciary duty between all the people that work for the agency and the people that work for the production side. Mm-hmm. I think that might be a reasonable solution here, but it was going to take some government intervention with the help of unions to kind of bust that up. We hear that. Remember if you guys have ever heard that, like, you know, busting up companies mm-hmm. um, that, that, that might be a way to go here, well, but it would only work. It only works if you truly bust it up mm-hmm. and make them operate completely independently and then regulate so that if it's found that there's something going on, mm-hmm. you know, that's not above board, that there can be some severe penalties that come into play. But again, going back earlier, we talked about like these advancements in social media and online presence where that's a that's an that's a conversation now going on with like Amazon with this idea of they have just they absorb markets and they just absorb companies who are smaller that cannot fight them for long. And so that's a talk about now is do we need to look back at all these uh, uh, the, these laws and go, how do we incorporate online into those laws now? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very true. And and we are seeing across every facet of business in, in America, there's the idea of, you know, consolidating and, and, you know, one big company owning that whole market. It's, it's capitalism, but at the end of the day, is it good for yeah. everyone? Is it mm-hmm. good for society? Is it good for, is it good for capitalism either? Even, um, you know, uh, if you have all these companies consumer. that have to close because they right. can't afford to compete in the market. Right. And I look at it also, you know, from a, a creative standpoint, an artistic standpoint, right? If everything's owned by one company, then it's that company is going to naturally w- want to focus only on the bottom line. And that stifles creativity. Mm-hmm. And and to some extent, I think sometimes you see that, especially in the film industry, mm-hmm. I think technologically, uh, the advance has been fantastic and we've seen lots of neat things on the screen and with VR and all that. But storytelling wise, are we being stifled because the studios are now beholden to shareholders and they're so consolidated? Are they saying we have to do this formula because that's what works? You know, it's uh, it's something that I think as as lawyers and then as people that create art, you have to keep in mind and you have to think and you have to kind of fight for. Michael, as, as an actor, do you have any kind of questions that, yeah. uh, that you want to ask? Yeah, for sure. So. I think one of the big issues that any actor always has questions about is it, the actor agent kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah. Uh, like I had a situation very early on. I signed with an agency, typical type of compensation. But upon working with them, it was like, oh, you need headshots. Mm-hmm. I know someone here who uh, will do your headshots for free. Yeah, yeah. And so my, I did my headshots with them. And then after at the end of it all, I was like, oh, well, I printed 100 of these. So, you know, you should give me X amount of money. Right for these headshots that you didn't ask to be printed, but I printed for you. Right. And, you know, that's just one small example, but 
do you see like what what experiences have you had in terms of like uh, an actor agent relationship gone bad? Uh, real quick, yeah. Just, yeah. And, and we're not saying the agent's name, but no. didn't you have an issue also? And I could be wrong, but that you got your own headshots done through an independent photographer and it almost at least felt like they weren't sending you out as oh, much yeah. or they because they felt your headshot wasn't that person's yeah, headshot. Yeah, like I had taken yeah. down the other photographer's work from yeah. my casting profiles and I uploaded these new, uh, you know, I thought better headshots. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I stopped going out for a few months. Interesting. Yeah, you know, uh, it's a tricky game. Mm-hmm. Um, th- I think that there are a lot of people who have entered the agent and management um, game that are not highly skilled and don't really know what they're doing uh, and that um, may have the best of intentions, but then get swayed by greed mm-hmm. as lack of, and greed's not necessarily a bad word. It's just a word. Um, and so that definitely uh, I think has, has happened because it's so easy to just throw up a website and say we're a management, we're a talent agent company. Um, sign with us, and then you know, find a couple people. They get their, you put their headshots up there, and then it starts attracting other people. And the next thing you know, um, you're out, and you have to try to hustle these clients, and and, and you know, and, and you're a little in over your head. Yeah. Um, or you're trying to do it a different way, and you can't really do it a different way. So there's there's a lot of reasons. So I try not to think that someone's being unscrupulous. And look at it more from a business perspective of maybe they got in over their head or they're not quite sure what's going on or the 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 fact that they got to pay the bills has led them to go down paths that are not necessarily the best and they're not servicing the client correctly. And, you know, the best advice is to just move away from that scenario. Yeah. And that's yeah. ultimately what I did. Yeah. I, I recognized that as like, OK, this is just a really bad situation. Because yeah, it got to the point the, the person, because I was I actually had I'd met with this person before I actually suggested Michael to them. And it got to a point, I think, where she either had way too many clients that she brought on board because she hired this guy who did the photo- photos and all that stuff. And it was almost impossible for Michael to even talk to. Oh, yeah. Your, like the I, I could never person. actually speak with the agent. It was always the assistant. Yeah. yeah. And it was it definitely felt like he handled the guys and she handled the women client uh, actors because yeah. I had friends of that worked with her and they were booking a lot. Mm-hmm. But I would never go out. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's one of the top questions that I get from clients uh, or, you know, people that I meet and are interested in talking to me about stuff is, do you have any agents that you can refer me to or do you have any managers you can refer me to? Mm-hmm. And um, and I always shy away from it because there's a lot of situations like that. And I don't want to put myself in a position where I refer somebody mm-hmm. thinking that, the, you know, I maybe one person I know had a good experience, but then you don't. Uh, and it and it reflects poorly on me, so I usually try to shy away from making those type of referrals. Um, although sometimes I can tell somebody's a really good fit, uh, but to be honest, there's only one manager, no agents, one manager that I work with, uh, who I think is an outstanding person at his job. I think I'm going to see him tomorrow too. <laughs> but he's a uh, he's fantastic. Uh, he really works hard for the clients. Um, is dedicated and only works with a couple of clients. Has not overburdened himself, and I think that's a big one. It's like, oh, I got more, I got more. Uh, I can't now do the work. Um, but it's it it is a challenge mm-hmm. to find someone who's the right fit. And I think that there's nothing wrong with switching and moving around to different people. And on that front, where it becomes very critical and where, you know, I play a role is making sure that anything that you sign 
is a deal that you can get out of at some point if certain things are not working or or are certain levels of career success are not achieved mm-hmm. that it's a relationship that can get out of an agent agents managers it's tricky because this is a person who you are going to have a very intimate personal relationship who's going to help you with your career mm-hmm. and you're going to have this like uh, uh, like a real relationship with them but at the end of the day it's based on money so it's really weird. Yeah. Right. And it can cause lots of feelings and like uh, anxiety and, and on both sides if it's not working correctly. And and I found a lot of people have tried to enter the game not knowing what they're doing and then believing something that isn't true. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they're entitled to money forever and ever from someone who signed up with them and for six months didn't receive any services and then said, I don't want to be with you anymore. And then they say, well, you signed an agreement that says you're going to pay me 20% forever. And thinking that that's actually binding, right? Yeah. And like I've had numerous no, very fun uh, phone calls saying, no, that doesn't, that's not how it works. Well, <laughs> they sign the paper. So that means, no, that doesn't. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's about equity. And it's about being equitable. And if you went before a judge and you said, yeah, this guy didn't do anything for me for six months. And your response was, yeah, but you signed the paper. The judge is going to laugh and say, no, nobody, it's over. Yeah. So, right. um, uh, so, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, interesting things there. But I think that, you know, the Internet is 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 awesome, uh, is is help and technology is help. But it's also like open up a world where people can like, you know, do things and, and think that they can create something when they're not super good at it or skilled or, mm-hmm. or get in over their heads. And I think we see that a lot with uh, with management and, and, and with agencies. And can you just give like just a technical legal definition of like the difference between agents oh, yeah, and managers? Because yeah. well, I, I think for actors, yeah. they're like, oh, they're the same thing. No, right? no, no, no. Okay, so especially in California. Mm-hmm. In California, an agent is someone who gets you employment. In California, in order to be an agent, you must be licensed and bonded. You actually have to be licensed by the state to be an agent. To get somebody employment, you have to be, you have to hold a license. And you do not pay them up front. Right. No, and you, ever. Yeah, no, you don't pay anybody up front, <laughs> please. Uh, a manager is someone who just counsels you on your career, mm-hmm. uh, but does not secure your employment. Now, they may help you put you in front of people. They may uh, help negotiate terms uh, and, and do all those things, but they don't actually go out and find you jobs. If they do... You don't have to pay them for it because uh, unless they're also an agent and licensed and bonded. Uh, But that's the big thing is that agents actually get you jobs and they must be licensed by the state of California. Uh, Now, some states don't have the licensing requirement for agents, um, uh, but California does. And it's not uh, it's it's easy enough to do it, but it's pretty expensive and like not something to be taken lightly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So usually agents are going to be. Uh, in general, if you just dumped like 50 agents and 50 managers randomly into a pot uh, that were not with a big agency, with an ATA agency or, uh, or something like that, um, you would find that uh, by and large, the agents are probably going to be a little bit better at mm-hmm. what they're doing because they're regulated and they had to pay some money to get into the into the game. Yeah. Whereas manager, anybody can be a manager. Um, OK, so. Uh, so, but that's the big difference is that is the, the concept that an agent has to, uh, secure or has to secure a license and they get you work. A manager counsels you on your career, gotcha. not necessarily, and they don't need to be licensed. I, and one of the things that if you get, an, if you ever look at an agency or a management agreement, okay, if it doesn't say in the second or third paragraph, I'm not an agent, I will not secure you employment. 
and I'm not licensed by the state of California, if you don't see that section in the agreement, then you don't want to even consider talking to that manager because that is a critical piece of any management contract mm. that protects them. And if they don't have that in there, that's an, that's like one of those like a brown M and M stories, red flags yeah. that, that will tell you that that's not somebody that you, that is probably very good at what they're doing. Gotcha. Thank so, you so much for that. Yeah, I, for I, sure. I, I did. I didn't even think about the agents are the ones that get you the work right. managers just counts on your career. Right now, they still get some type of compensation. Sure, and even, it's usually going to be a percentage. And everything. Exactly. Yeah, and usually a manager is going to get a percentage of everything that you do, mm-hmm. and agents going to get a percentage of the things that they book you on. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, one last kind of hypothetical situation I wanted to bring up to you. We we had an issue uh, a few months ago where there was another podcast that came up called Hollywood Hustle. Okay. Um, they were very different from us. Um, we uh, initially contacted them and said, hey, you know, based on when you guys released, we actually came out first and we feel for both of our brands, this is not a great idea because there's going to be brand confusion and right. a lot of different things. And uh, luckily they, they acquiesced and, and changed their name and we, there wasn't a big fight about it. Or anything. Yeah. I actually talked to the guys on the phone and they were very nice and we figured it out. Sure. But I want to ask you, like, let's say alternate universe, they said, nah, son, we're keeping the name. Yep. Uh, what would what, what would have been our next you know form mm-hmm. of action, especially because podcasting again another everyone has a podcast change yeah. and and and, yep. and idea. What would, what would have been our next steps in that if they had been like, Nah, son, we're keeping the name. Right. You here here's the finger. You know. Yep. Yep. Okay. So you bring up uh, you basically just given a trademark analysis. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. So take it away, Mark. Right. <laughs> so so we we uh. We look at there's, you know, three basic types of IP and then there's a fourth one that's based on state law. And that fourth one is your right of publicity. Um, the, the, you know, but the, uh, the three federal uh, intellectual properties are copyrights, trademarks and patents. Mm-hmm. With copyrights and patents, it's all about did you steal my patent and use it? Mm-hmm. With trademark, the test for uh, infringement is likelihood of confusion. Mm-hmm. It's this esoteric understanding of would a consumer be confused into believing that the infringing use is actually coming from the registered or the original, the senior user. So in here, you just gave the analysis. Mm -hmm. You said people are going to be confused, right? (laughs) People are going to be confused into thinking that they're you. And you were first, you're the senior user. Uh, That's the other key component in the United States. Trademark is based on first to use. Now, there are a million reasons why you want to register with the USPTO, but first to use is basically the tenant in the United States. So, um, but you, you nailed it right on the head and you did the exact correct thing to do. You know, some people, their first step is to go lawyer. Oftentimes these things can be settled in a pragmatic way between people. Yeah. When you get the lawyer letter, it, it's unpleasant. If you get a phone call from somebody else going, hey man, you know, here's the problem. Oftentimes that solves it right away. Now, yeah. sometimes you get somebody on there that says that doesn't want to play ball and then you have to go down you know, to the next step. But had it gone south, mm-hmm. you as the senior user and being able to show that you could have then had an official cease and desist letter or something drafted from an attorney saying you guys came second. My client was first. Mm-hmm. Superior rights under the, the Lanham Act. And so stop doing it or we're going to have to file to get an injunction against you. It's going to be really expensive. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to do that. You've only been in operation for a couple of couple of months. It's not going to be super expensive for you. This is your better option. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at the end of the day, it's probably a good idea to register your trademark. Mm-hmm. So not only are you a senior user, but you're now registered. Registration mm-hmm. 
gives presumptive evidence to anybody else in the country that you have claimed exclusive rights to the mark in whatever class of goods and services you register in mm -hmm. and would then give you really strong ability to stop somebody. Uh, also would give you the ability to sue in federal court, which can have lots of different ad advantages. A lot of people come along now and they just think of something that they think is interesting and good as a name and then they just start using it without doing any due diligence. But if people do <laughs> even the slightest bit of due diligence and you're registered, they're going to find the registration and hopefully that would dissuade them from from using that name. But but, you know, it is it is a fact of, you know, business and, and, and a fact of you know, a lot of people, you know, starting their own thing that people will choose names and start operating and print business cards and set up a website uh, without doing any due diligence drives me nuts. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I, 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 you know, we came into this doing this podcast with a, a, a plan. We, we said this is what we want to do. We're taking this seriously. We want this to grow into this. Like we have plans for the future for not only the podcast, but for the brand itself. And I mean, and I, I even told Michael when this first happened, I think, Michael, I think you found these guys. Yeah. I and did. I, I go a simple just go on to Apple podcast and right. type. Hollywood hustle right. and yeah. to see that's what I did. Right. Well, <laughs> I think cause we were notified by a listener because uh, right. someone had reached out to me saying like, Hey, I didn't know that you guys brought on some other hosts oh, and then you okay. uh, like it's, or is it still you guys? Cause I, th I thought you changed. Oh, it was somebody that was looking for you. I think yeah. that was for <sighs> New Year's. And so we, and so I was like, literally just go on there and type Hollywood hustle up. I Googled Hollywood hustle. And the only thing I could find was I think there was a show a long time ago that had an episode called Hollywood Hustle, and that's it. Nobody else had the title, or they had some a we they had like hustle, but not that form of, right. of it. And it was like, okay, cool, let's put this in now so we can make sure we we get it. And it was just like it's so simple. It's yeah. such a simple step. Like I understand getting exciting about a product, and you're like, that is a cool name, and you're like, yes, that is that is the name, and you're excited about it. But just take a second and Google that name right. and make sure. And you can even go. You can go to a trademark website and search. They have searches in there that you can search. Right. And you can see who owns the trademark. You can. And when it was trademarked and if that trademark has expired right. as well. And yeah. So and, and it's clunky. The, yeah, you know, all the government websites 90s. are clunky. It's very <laughs> I always tell people it's built on Windows 95. Anytime I want to like criticize a, a an old government website, I say, well, it's built on Windows 95. You I don't know the, if that's true, but it certainly feels like you think like the it. IRS website is terrible. <laughs> Try the trademark <laughs> website. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and the copyright website's great, too, because instead of just having a, a link right on the front page that takes you to the ECO where you register and can look up copyrights, mm -hmm. you got to go through three or four pages and it's kind of <laughs> buried. And yeah, it's it, it's fun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and once you get there and you kind of, you kind of work your way through, you can find and like search for stuff, but you can just do a Google search. Yeah. yeah. The thing that's been crazy. And, 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 and so for, for a while it, it kind of died down with people using, uh, uh you know, me, uh, in particular, my having received calls from people that, uh, saying, Oh, somebody's using my name. Can you help me out? What, what, what do I do? It died down for a little while and then it shot back up again when the, the top level domain names, uh, gave you new extensions and you could do lots of extensions now because yeah. whenever when the only extension was dot com mm -hmm. once they were all taken every, no everybody would they would do at least that they'd go well let's see if the dot com's available it's not i guess somebody else already has it or oh, they well. see it right <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna all choose something else but once you got to the point where like you could choose dot tv dot org and when you go to like, GoDaddy or whatever and you put it in it said well dot com's not available but look at all these then people started dollars. thinking oh well, i guess i can use it now because i can get the dot yeah, TV if, the, if the website 
version of it is yeah. available, then surely That's I can not still how do any of surely this it works. still works, right? <laughs> right. So so that definitely uh, you know spiked the the complaints again. Uh, whereas when we had kind of were just on the dot com, and I guess there was some people did dot net, but I mean really it was like you would search for the dot com, it wasn't available, you try another name. Mm-hmm. But when you went, but now when you go to search and the dot com's not available, they give you so many more options. You think, well, if those options are available, I guess it's okay to use. How how big a difference is it if somebody adds like just a small thing to it? So like, let's say we're Hollywood Hustle Podcast. Yep. If somebody came out and the title was the Hollywood Hustle Podcast, yep. would we still have rights to message them? Or because they've added this one change, do yeah. they have the the superiority yeah. to that? Really good, really good question. Okay, so. All depends on the industry and the classes that you're registered in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like we said, the test for trademark confu- confusion or t- trademark infringement is likelihood of confusion. Mm-hmm. Okay, how likely is someone to be confused? So I think if they put the word "the" in front of a podcast, there's totally going to be confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, however, think about band names. Um, there's been a number of issues over the years where a band has made a simple, you know, addition in order to avoid trademark infringement. I can think of a few examples. One, uh, Bush, Gavin Rosdale, uh, you know, uh, when they go to Canada, they're Bush X. Oh, really? Because oh. there was already a Bush in Canada. I didn't know that. So in Canada, their albums say Bush X. They tour under the name Bush X. Uh, so, um, and consumers are sophisticated enough to recognize that the Bush in Canada and Bush X is a, are different bands. But somebody who's listening to a podcast, they're going to think the Hollywood hustle and Hollywood hustle are the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, same thing with, you know, certain clothing brands and things like that, where like, you know, slight changes are not going to be enough mm-hmm. to, to make a difference A super famous case. Adidas is three stripes. And I think it was Payless shoe source came out with a identical, although, you know, inferior in terms of manufacturing and, and, uh, um, materials shoe to the shell toe Adidas, the famous one Mm -hmm. with four stripes. And they said, well, four and three, you can totally tell the difference. And the, the court in their ruling said, no, the average, like, you know, mom that goes to the store to buy her kid's shoes is not going to know three from four. Mm -hmm. They're going to see the shoe, the shoe and say, that's the right one. They're going to bring it home and it's going to fall apart. And you've diluted the Adidas brand, so no, that's trademark infringement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, in some cases, it's not even about a word; it's about you know the look, you know the, the stripes, the, yeah, the logo or whatever. It's about the built of yeah, them. and so it really de- it's really industry specific. Then the other thing that you have to take in consideration is the class of goods and services that you're registered in. Mm-hmm. There's 45 different classes of goods and services that you can register in. This is why there's an automobile brand called Lexus. And the software that lawyers use to look up cases is called Lexus. There's no conflict. There's no problem because who would be confused into buying a car when they're going to look up case law or vice versa? Mm-hmm. Who would spend the rest of their lives, you know, looking up cases when they were looking to go buy a car? So there's no <laughs> likelihood of confusion. Right. Yeah. So um, now sometimes the lines get blurred, though. Super famous case again is Apple Records, the Beatles record label and Apple Computer. Initially, Apple Records was, at, you know, everybody knew them. Apple Computer's brand new. And they said, and Apple Records said, you know, hey, what are you guys? We're a computer company. We're not in entertainment. We're, we're not, we don't do that. We certainly aren't doing music. Okay. And they had a, <laughs> they signed a concurrent, uh, an agreement saying we could operate concurrently. No problem. And then the iPod comes out. And now Apple Records goes, wait a minute. 
But at that point now, the whole world knows Apple Computer and a lot less people knew Apple Records. And so a big fight and it settled. Uh, Presumably, uh, you know, and I don't know this for a fact, but presumably some money was paid to Apple Records for them to drop the complaint. And there might even be a licensing agreement in place now that pays them some money uh, in connection because of that. But so so sometimes two companies that are using the same branding but are but are totally different can operate but if the lines start to blur so this is one of the things that that i have to do an analysis on because people come to me and they'll say oh uh, my band is this name or my production company is this name fantastic we look it up there and i looked up and i don't see any production companies that have the same name that are registered Uh, there was a couple other uses but they weren't production companies so then i go and i look and and i say well one of the uses that is registered that's not a production company is a clothing company so do you want to start a production company that can never manufacture any merchandise? Mm. Oh, I didn't think about that. I almost went and registered that name. You would have not been able to legally uh, have a trademark for any merchandise, uh, clothing merchandise that you want to put out. So it's really important to kind of anticipate that. Uh, with like a band, there's always three categories that we're always immediately gravitating to. The category for live performance, the category for um, for you know uh, music itself, the, the tangible CDs, DVDs, digital downloads, and then the category for merch. And merch is often the one that knocks you out because somebody started a T-shirt company with the name of your band. Then we have lots of options there too because we can uh, we can go to them and say, hey, we were a band. We also want to be able to print T-shirts. We're not going to be interfering with you. We're not looking to sell in the Gap and all these places. Would you sign uh, an agreement saying that we can concurrently operate? And sometimes they'll say yes or no. So there's there's options there, but right. it sometimes it means change the name of your band. Wow. Would you say that has has this uh, career like affected you, or has the the way the industry quote unquote works has that impacted your life in any way? Make you feel jaded about law or the industry at all? No. Uh, and I think it because uh, because I worked as a sports reporter for all those years, <laughs> that jaded me. I came from loving sports as a kid more than anything in the world. And then I got to meet a lot of different people in the industry uh, and a lot of athletes uh, who were not really nice people. Mm. And it definitely jaded me there. But but here uh, with entertainment and the industry itself and like some of the things that go on. No, not at all. I, I really love what I do. Um, and I really enjoy the fact that I can actually be able to help people because of the things that I know how to do in the same way that when I go to a show or I go watch a movie, I get enjoyment out of something that I can't do. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. That's uh, amazing. Uh, one of the things that we're doing this season, uh, and, and I like, I kind of like this because I think one of the terms in here fits very abruptly to what you do, um, <laughs> is we like to celebrate the small wins yeah. that people have. And, and I think, again, in your industry, wins uh, is, is the term that just fits perfectly. Sure, sure. Um, and, and so we want to know, you know, what have been this last week or last two weeks, some of your like three of your like small wins for, for you and your business and what you do. And we want to we want to celebrate those. Yeah, right on. Um, you know, to be honest, I just I really like to be able to uh, to coordinate and be able to do as many different things when I travel mm-hmm. as possible. And the fact that this particular week I was able to go watch my Giants uh, open the baseball season in San Diego with my dad. And at the, on the same night, see one of my my favorite clients, Cone Brio, play at the Belly Up in Solano Beach and have all my wife's really good friends come out. And one of my f- best friends from from high school come out mm-hmm. uh, to that show. 
uh, was a real kick. Yay. And then be able to coordinate to come up here, see some of my favorite people in L.A. and do this show uh, <laughs> and be able to like make all that work has been a total thrill. Yay. Uh, nice. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well done. Right? That's a really right? busy week. Yes. <laughs> and on that front, like one of my favorite things that happened this week is the the manager for Combrio, Casey, uh I, I see him at the show and he's walking with a, with a limp. And I said, what's going on? Said, I hurt my back. It's just killing me. And I said, oh man. And he's like, and we had to drive from Tucson to San Diego and that didn't help. And I'm just, I'm dying. And he's, you know, he's hurt. And I said, well, my, my good friend from high school is coming in. I need a chiropractor. I go, man, be happy to, he goes, for real? And I go, yeah. So my friend Ruben shows up and uh, I say, Ruben, Casey. I said, Casey needs your services. And he says, get a chair and took him out and took him back to the green room and crack, crack. And the next thing you know, Casey's dancing around. <laughs> and my dad's there at the show with me. And Casey comes up to my dad and gives him a big hug. He goes, your son is the best lawyer in the world. And I'm like, what does law have to do with that? He goes, he goes you just know a lot of people. And I, I, it was really funny. You lawyered that situation. Yeah, right? Yeah. Very nice. right on. Well right done. On. Yeah, so so I love stuff like that. That was a, that was a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully I'll see Casey this week, and and he's still walking good and and dancing. So uh, that's the hope. Right nice. On. Yeah, right on. So so for uh, to kind of again wrap it up for creatives in general, yeah. uh, no matter music or acting or writing or anything, yep. what's one general piece of advice that you would give that would be like this advice? You know this. Yeah, I get asked this a lot, and it's a super easy answer for me. Um, fail fail a lot failure always leads to lots of good things both personally and the growth that you experience and also for your career it's just the way the world works do not fear failure do not avoid things because you're worried you might fail take it on and then take the failure accept it and learn from it uh, i think people that are super successful have all failed miserably many 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 times and learned from it and 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 gathered skills and also Learn to take that challenge that is going to lead to the thing that you're going to become very successful at. If you don't fail, then that means you're not taking any risks. And if you're working in a creative field and you're not taking risks, then you're probably not going to be successful. That's just the way it is. So don't fear failure. Take it head on and learn from it. That's that's the piece of advice that I like to, to live by. Yeah. So to, to the, the final thing we like to do, and you've probably heard it if, you, if you've listened to the episodes, is before Facebook and after, Friends, after Friendster, there was a wonderful place called MySpace. And on there would be these surveys and, and, and trivia things that you would just fill out these answers that had no final result. And you would post it for everyone to see. Right, right. And I found one of these quizzes. It's 167 questions. Okay. I'm not going to ask every single question. <laughs> right. But before we started, I asked you to give me six right, numbers. Right. You have not heard any of these questions. Okay. Correct? I have not. Okay. And one of the rules of this is no explanation needed. Okay. So, Mark, A. It's going to be tough for me. <laughs> Pearson, are you ready for I'm your ready MySpace for my, quiz? I'm ready. All right. Question number one. <clears throat> what are your three favorite colors? Orange. Black. Purple. There you go. What time did you wake up today? 7.15. All right. What is your zodiac sign? Leo. Oh, close to, close to what's your birthday? some new questions. August 18th. Uh, August 26th. Right on. All right. What year has been your best year? 2010. All you left? Have you ever left your house without... Money or credit cards? Yes. And finally, your final question for your MySpace quiz. Have you ever had braces? 
I did. All right, there you go. <laughs> Mark, that is your MySpace quiz. Right thank on. you so much for being on with us. Yeah, thank You've you. You've been a pleasure to talk with. I hope you will come back on yeah, in the future, especially sure. if there's some big legal thing going on in the industry know it. that we can get your uh, your take on it. Uh, where can people find you, your firm? Yes, yes. Uh, how can they get in contact with you? On Twitter, it's ARC Law Group. On- ARC, right? Yeah. yeah. No, ARC. Yeah, ARC. Yes. yes. Those are the letters. Yes. yes. ARC Law Group uh, on Twitter um, and Facebook and Instagram. Okay. Um, I love Instagram. That's a lot. That's a fun <laughs> one. Yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, the website is arclg.com. Uh, and then uh, you can always reach us uh, on email, old school, at info at arclg.com. Fantastic. And, yeah. Good stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Hey, League of Hustle, welcome back. I hope our interview with entertainment lawyer Mark A. Pearson from Arc Law Group shed some light on the intricacies an artist may encounter while trying to build their career. What are your big takeaways or follow-up questions? Do you have any experiences with this type of law? We'd love to know. Send them our way. You can email them to hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com or record an audio message via Anchor FM and send them directly to us. That way you can be featured on our next side hustle. Thank you so much for joining us today, guys. Remember to follow us on Twitter at LA Hustlecast and on Instagram at Hollywood Hustle Podcast. Daniel is at Daniel Tuttle, T-U-T-T-E-L. And I am at Michael Lutheran on all social media platforms. This episode was brought to you by Team Hustle. Daniel Tuttle is our executive producer. And Michael Lutheran, who's that guy, is our podcast editor. Join us next week for our side hustle. I've got some other big news going on, and I'd love to share that with you guys. I know Daniel has been hustling as well, so I can't wait to check in with him. We'll also be previewing our conversation with commercial casting director Danielle Eskenazi. Such an amazing person, and I can't wait to share more with you next week. I'm going to throw it back to Daniel in our interview with Mark to close us out. Take it away, brother. All right, guys, you know we love you. We believe in you. Take care of yourselves and your property and your legal situations. <laughs> read your contracts. Read your, con- read your oh contracts. Please read your contracts with fine tooth combs. And always remember to keep, keep up, up the hustle. hustle.